little touch pass there. Benson waiting, cuts in, he scores! Oh my! Here comes Zach Funk, right wing side. Zach Funk to right and he scores! Drops it back. Minton shoots, scores! Razor Minton makes it six to nothing. Welcome into WHL Unfiltered. Uh, please be joined by Cleve Deanshaw of the Victoria Times Colonist. Been covering this league for long enough. Uh, two different teams in Victoria. Is, is, is that right, Cleve? Yeah, yeah. The old Victoria Cougars and uh, from 1971-72, the WHL, uh, Major Junior WHL, the league that we know now. And uh, then since uh, after... Uh, a stint in the ECHL, uh, back to the WHL. A long story. Uh, I think uh, both of us uh, in the in the league know about it. And then finally returning the WHL to Victoria after was moved to Prince uh, George. Uh, the Cougars moved, of course, ninety four, ninety five, and uh, WHL returned after a long uh, hiatus in uh, 2011, 2012 with the Victoria Royals, which were the former Chilliwack Bruins. Well, so look, looking at Okay. Says, looking at the history of hockey in Victoria and all those different, you know, versions, Western Hockey League, ECHL, whatever has been through, how does the current health in your mind of the fan base and the franchise with the Royals compare to what you've seen at different points in Victoria hockey history? You know, it's pretty funny. Um, uh, the, the team went through a really bad spell uh uh, you know, before it left the um, uh, before it left Victoria for Prince George, and it was earmarked by a historic five-win season uh, in the late '80s, and which led to the you know uh, a, a just a, a, a spiral that went out of control, and teams started losing uh, you know just as badly for the next four years, and then. Uh, what happened was uh, fan, of course, uh, apathy uh, set in, and uh, the team was moved uh, to Prince George. And this is after the high of the 1980-81 season in which uh, Victoria, the Cougars, won uh, the WHL championship with a team that included Barry Peterson and uh, Grant Fuhr and, you know, and 12 players who went on to play in the NHL. And that was the high point, and then... A really good early 80s and mid 80s, followed by a really bad 1980, uh, late 80s and uh, uh, mid 90s, and that was it. And then uh, you know, team left, and it was uh, 17 long years in the wilderness with just junior A hockey in town. And then, you know, in an interesting seven years with the ECHL, uh, you know, uh, everything you've seen about minor pro hockey is true at that level, where you're two steps away from the NHL, you might as well be a hundred steps away. Every player that came through here during the Salmon Kings ECHL years was, you know, had gone to the Memorial Cup or, or to the Frozen Four, 
and they were all they were all somebody in their day, you know, in college and in, in junior. But uh, missing that one step or missing that one thing that would make you an NHLer, and it was really interesting the stories. But then, you know, uh, you know that came and went, and then you know there was this was the largest market in Canada without either uh, you know major junior. Uh, hockey uh, for many years, so uh, they really wanted to get back here, Ron Robinson of HL, and they did. Uh, the opportunity arrived when the Chilliwack Bruins uh, were moved here in 2011-2012. So that's in a thumbnail, the history of Victoria hockey, and then, of course, uh, pretty good uh, Royal season, always a mid-pack, always a mid-pack team, and uh, oddly enough, uh, up until they started this really bad spell, they were one of only... Uh, uh, Three teams, along with Portland and uh, and Everett, not to have missed uh, the WHL playoffs up up until 2020, uh, since they became in the league in 2011-2012. And that streak, of course, has been smashed to smithereens the last three years with just an incredible low period that spiraled out of control. Uh, you know, with uh, missing the playoffs the last two seasons, uh, uh, last two seasons, and the season before that, the bubble season, they were dead last in the league. Uh, so, and now uh, this year they are the most improved team in the league with a huge turnaround. So, you know, for the listeners out there, this is pretty much uh, where it stands right now in Victoria Hockey, a city, by the way, which won the Stanley Cup in 1925. I love it. So. You know, and my apologies, Cleve, for not having you on the show for for some time. But you know, it's the Royals haven't been that exciting to to talk about for you know a couple seasons now, and 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 that's changed. There's a new sheriff in town, and they've been pretty hot lately. I mean, what's uh what what's what's this season been like, and and uh, you know, co- covering the Royals so far with the you know the new lease on life. Uh, yeah, from the uh, uh, Chad, you know, from that uh, low season of the bubble season, you know when they were dead last in the league and then missing the playoffs the last two years after that, which were the last two seasons that have been played in the league. Um, you know this group got, has been together since they were 16 years old. Uh, uh, you know, 16, 17 year olds. So everybody knew this was the season for them to turn it around and, and have a bang. But it was going to be a pop, pop gun sort of bang because the ceiling was so low for these guys, uh, just because they haven't done much. Even though you're getting older now at 18, 19, you know, uh, uh, doesn't mean uh, it's going to be a huge turnaround simply because the guys are older, uh, just because they haven't done anything the last three years. So there wasn't, you know, just by uh, being older, you're going to be better, you're going to be mid-pack as the cycle of junior hockey goes, as you know, you know, Kamloops is down, Vancouver is down now, that's, that sort of thing happens, uh, but uh, in junior hockey in the cycle. But uh, what what has really surprised people is that uh, this team, although you know, I thought everybody thought, and I did too, that they'd be, you know, uh, just being older, you know, that they would be, but not much better. They'd be sort of going for the seventh or eighth playoff spots, and here they are in the you know in the top four, and with Wenatchee now, you know, trading away, you know, Geeky and Savoy, it looks like they will be a top-four team this year, and that has really surprised everybody. And uh, the turnaround, uh, of course, uh, you know, there's been some real major changes here. Uh, uh, the coach of the last uh, six seasons was let, was let go, Dan Price, and, um, you know, it was kind of sad to see because he had seen this all the way through to now, but he doesn't get to have the payoff. And uh, But the new group came in, and there was off the seat. Off season, there was a huge, huge uh, upheaval in, in the front office with Joey uh, uh, Paul Janowski coming in after five seasons uh, in the NHL, 
with the uh, uh, Arizona Coyotes, and he came in as the new sort of uh, administrator of everything. You know, um, uh, he runs everything, and then Jake Heisinger was uh, hired as the uh, as the as the new assistant GM. And uh, between them, they have uh, you know really changed the the culture of this team and and just the vibe around this team. And of course, uh, the big news was the coaching change the, to James Patrick. And between Patrick and Heisinger, of course, they were the architects of that uh, Winnipeg Ice powerhouse the last few years. And you can see that seeping through now in Victoria, that whole culture. Well, I saw James Patrick. Um, or listened to him on the uh, Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman podcast. Yeah, I was here that was uh, taped in Victoria because Hockey Day in Victoria was here, and I don't know if American view, uh, listeners understand how big a thing that is. They come every year to a Canadian city and broadcast all seven Canadian uh, teams playing in games, and then they have features from that host city uh, and uh, uh, and hockey in that host city. So there was a lot of island stories going around this weekend across the country in Victoria hockey stories, and uh, and that included the Royals uh, and the. Uh, and that included the uh, uh, 32 th- uh, thoughts broadcast uh, with uh, James Patrick getting uh, one of the getting one of the segments. That's right, and uh, I thought he did quite well actually. Um, uh, and and he talked about some of the changes with the team since he came aboard, and and he had a good long look at the team and, and really felt that commitment to defensive structure. Um, was the biggest change that he needed to make. I mean, that's that's paraphrasing what I heard him say. Um, what's your take on the difference that James Patrick has made and and the the biggest changes you've seen? You know, James Patrick was in the NHL for uh, I believe about eighteen years, right? Just uh, over twelve hundred games played, uh, and uh, and uh, played on Team Canada as well on the famous Team Canada in nineteen eighty seven uh, with uh, Gretzky and Mario. Uh, Lemieux, uh, and he was a uh, defenseman on that team and one of the greatest you know, national teams ever assembled. So he was a high-level NHLer in his time. Not high-level, but uh, you know, a re- did what he did well. And uh, he is bringing that ethic here, and it's a really, you know, it, it's an overly defensive approach, but it is a, an approach of, he plays defense, he says, by playing offense. When you have the puck, the other team doesn't have the puck. Simple as that. And I think his best quote in that whole... Uh, uh, in that whole interview in the 32 Thoughts podcast was hockey comes down to who has the puck and who wants the puck the most. And he's a big believer in that, and he has really changed the whole culture around here. You know, And to his credit, you know, he, he mentioned on the broadcast, he's only been here two months, right? And he was handed a winning team with a winning record, 8-7, and seven, uh, by Dan Price. And, of course, he has elevated that to, you know, to a winning record of, you know, well above 500 now. And uh, this guy knows what he's doing. And, you know, that was proven, you know, in, in Winnipeg the last two years, uh, unbelievable powerhouse they had there. They, they didn't, never got over the final, you know, the final hurdle each time. But uh, obviously winning the uh, the Scotty Monroe Trophy as regular season champions last year, uh, that's not easy to do. And, uh, you know, if, if it was European sports, that would be the, the real championship, you know. Playoffs in you know in soccer and you know in those you know overseas and uh, you know but in the playoffs of course uh, they met their match against the Thunderbirds in the final uh, but yeah a great team you know and uh, that they built there with Alan Wenatchee uh, uh, but um, yeah yeah and that sort of uh, ethic that uh, they have 
installed here is starting to really show uh, with what him and Jake Heisner have brought to this team is quite evident on the ice now. Yeah, Cleve, to, to your point, yeah, they were 8-7-1 and one when they made the change, and, you know, I don't want to try to, you know, dance on anybody's grave or anything, but if my math is right, there's 16-8-2-3 and two and three since then, so they've, you know, not they went from a 500 team to a, a 750 team, and that's, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. you know, with no... Like I say, the proof, the proof is in the pudding, and the pudding is yeah. good right now. Although over the, they had a bit of a, uh, on the weekend, of course, uh, with Hockey Day in Canada cutting into Royals features and stuff during the course of the day and, uh, and been giving a couple of players national exposure, Braden Holt and, uh, and Cole Reshney, you know, getting interviewed on national TV. It was a huge high on Saturday night, a big crowd of over 6,000 out. And, you know, they beat Kamloops 7-2, and then the inevitable letdown, you just knew after something like that happens, the next day you play again the matinee, and then they lose to the last place team in the league, the Blazers, uh, 6-2. to uh, but that was to be expected, and it's been the only really hiccup of late. They had a really good, uh, a really interesting um, uh, trip to the Eastern Division, 5,000 you know kilometers, uh, a real tire buster, and uh, they came away interestingly enough with only one loss in regulation, but four either overtime or shootout losses. Again, <laughs> it's a tough division. So, although it wasn't, it was interesting because it wasn't, you couldn't look at it as a great road trip, but it was great on many levels in that you go into Saskatoon and, you know, you come away with a overtime loss, right? Uh, you go into uh, Moose Jaw and you come away with, you know, uh, similar, right? So it's, um, uh, you go into some really tough rinks there and, uh, and you know teams of the future like Brandon, and you know, and you and you play well against them as well, and 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 PA, and so it was uh, it was a that was an interesting road trip, and then coming back, of course, to the to the hockey day Canada festivities, and now a weird little dip, you know, on the on the matinee after that, and uh, three games now coming up against Vancouver, uh, which will be telling. You mentioned a player that has drawn a lot of eyes and will continue to, in Cole Rushney. And I remember my first exposure to him was a couple years ago at the Rocky Mountain Classic when he was a draft-eligible player. And he led his team. I got to call the game to a, a championship in that tournament of so many of the best U15 teams and just seemed to control the game. And then moved on to the Blazers in U18 AAA, got them to a championship and led them to nationals. And now as a 16-year-old, a point-of-game player, helping lead the Victoria Royals to a top-four record right now. So it just seems to be a guy, I, I got to call him at the, uh, the U-17 international tournament. Um, he just seems to be a guy that wins everywhere he plays and that never uh, seems to shy from the big moments. What, what's been your take in the cool wrestling experience so far? Well, he doesn't look out of place as a 16-year-old at all. In fact, he looks to me already like a 17 or 18-year-old. And it's very odd to see a 16-year-old uplift team, but he does, uh, just with his play, because it isn't like he's a sniper, you know, and, and they're kind of one-dimensional, and, yeah, they're going to really get the goals. But, you know, he's a setup guy first and, uh, and a scorer second, goal scorer second. And his assist total is, you know, really striking for a rookie in this league. And I think he's third overall on rookie points in the WHL in a strong class this year. And um, he, yeah, just he just lifts everybody around him. And for a 16-year-old to do that is, is quite, quite rare. 
and it has got people around here really excited about what his future holds. And also, five games up earlier this year, uh, they're, um, uh, uh, and Reshny was taken third overall because of the bad couple of seasons Victoria's had. They've had high draft picks, uh, and and and, uh, so, and uh, he was uh, uh, Cole was taken. Reshny was taken third overall, and then following year, uh, Keaton Verhoff was taken fourth overall last year. And and uh, Rushney third overall the year before, and uh, Verhoff's uh, a defenseman uh, who, as a 15-year-old, did not look out of place at all in his five call-up games. So these are the two building blocks for Victoria into the future. Those two guys, and uh, you got to make use of your bad years uh, in the draft. And you and what's often used around here, and often used is uh, you know the example of, uh, of of Prince George, who have used those bad years. Uh, to get uh, you know some really high good draft picks in those years, and now look at where they are, right? So guys like Heighton that, and they really use those draft picks shrewdly. And Victoria is looking at these two guys as the building blocks in the same way into the future, into what looks like a pretty good future at this point. Although you know Cam uh, Loops in Vancouver really loaded up with draft picks, uh, you know, trading away a lot of their star players over the last couple of years, and. Uh, uh, and they were going to be tough. So these are going to be the three teams, pretty interesting in the, in the future years, as they sort of, uh, you know, look into about, you know, the 20, into 2027, 2028. You know, it's going to be a very interesting uh, trio with these three teams as these draft picks, you know, really come into uh, into their fruition. And this year, you know, it's interesting um, how well Craig Heisinger knows this league. Although, I mean, I would have doubted him on that Ostachuk deal last year. I don't know if I would have done that because they're so stacked already. And on the cost of a lot of draft picks to the Giants uh, to do that. And I, always, I often wonder why GMs do that when you're stacked already. And But, you know, until you're close, like he told me, unless you're close, you owe it to your team to give them every, every, every opportunity possible during that small window you have. And he did. And uh, that's loaded up the Giants with the draft picks, and uh, of course we know what Kamloops did this year. And uh, but you know he Hazinger made a move this year that wasn't really noticed at the beginning of the season. He traded away uh, two veteran players, maybe the two of the best Royals over the last three years, Caleb Parker and Braden Sherman. You know, to a Moose Jaw team that is on the brink. You know, uh, this year they went for it all, and what they got in return were five draft picks from the Warriors. Uh, including first-round picks in 2024 and 2026 and a second-round selection in 2025 and a third-rounder in 2027 included. So Victoria is also well-loaded for uh, future draft picks. And, you know, this could be an interesting group in the in the Western Conference moving ahead, uh, you know, up towards 2030. You know, it's, we talk about Reshni, and, and, and he's obviously the future, but also the present. And you know I'm going to ask you about the the Royals' leading scorer in in Dawson Pasternak, who, you know, is a player that you know. I was just about to mention that because in that deal, uh, in those deals that uh, Heisinger has made earlier this year, he got the lead. He's got one of his leading scorers, and who was an absolute steal from the Brandon Wheat Kings. It was a conditional draft pick, and now this guy is just is. Definitely one of the top three guys on on this Royals team, and uh, uh, and obviously uh, everybody in Eastern who had had him before, it's a twenty year old who had given up on him. But it often happens, you know, twenty year olds they just explode when you least expect it because you know if they've they've been on the brink for so long and people go, well, it's just not happening for them. And 
and uh, you know, then it comes boom. You know, you, you've lost them as a 20-year-old, and I know you're playing against 16 and 17-year-olds, so you know, it has to be taken into account. But that was one of the shrewdest deals I've seen, and also uh, they acquired, you know, in a deal Moose Jaw Ben Rice, who has been a very, very valuable forward uh, for them as well. And uh, and over the weekend, uh, uh, the trade deadline, sorry, last uh, earlier this month, they got. Uh, uh, Laventure, uh, who is a really, very, really good 20-year-old, uh, uh, who uh, is a really sneaky, sneaky player with 17 goals already this season, uh, and they, you know they got him also in a in a good deal. So they've remolded the team in many ways uh, with with sly little moves for veterans that other teams have overlooked, and I think that's just. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Jay Kaisinger knowing uh, uh, the league so well and, and, and you know, kind of players who will help this sort of team play and plug kind of, kind of players who are older and will help this team sort of, uh, uh, you know, down the stretch. Yeah, yeah, back to that. Yeah. Dawson Pasternak, I mean, you know, this is a guy here, you know, probably by the end of the month, He's going to have more points in a Victoria sweater than he did in his first four years in the league, you know, added up. And that's, you know, that's absolutely crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, fun to yeah. see a player take off like that. Yeah. Uh, we'll see how he's. Uh, he got injured in that uh, 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 over the weekend. We'll see how he is uh, this weekend, but it didn't seem to be so serious. Uh, they've lost two key players down the, that, that are month to month that are really key to what this team does. Uh, uh, Miski is a uh, defenseman who is uh, ranked for this draft and she really should have been taken in the draft last year. Uh, he's really he got an invite to Oilers camp this year and he's uh, Kipke and Miski on defense. They're almost like the twin towers back there uh, and have slowly evolved over the, through the bad years and have slowly evolved this year to breakout seasons this year, both of them. And uh, uh, um, and also uh, yeah, and uh, I think the defense on this team is quite strong. This team is built, like you were mentioning, for uh, built from the back out. And uh, the other key injury I should mention is Robin Sapusek, who won uh, uh, gold medal last year with uh, Chechia in the in the World Juniors and uh, was part of their uh, bronze medalist team this year. But then got injured uh, just before the. Uh, uh, the medal round uh, this year in Gothenburg, Sweden, and hasn't been back since. And he is month to month. And those are two key injuries to Victoria that uh, they'll be definitely looking, hoping to get back late in the season, or uh, definitely by the playoffs, which will really help the squad as well. I, I noticed, you know, Leventre I certainly saw in Swift Current, and he had a nice run here with the Broncos. And then their move to upgrade their blue line with their 20-year-old spot forced them to deal him. And it allowed Victoria to buy without paying a huge price. I mean, I think it was a fifth-round draft pick to get him, and, and yes, you did have to, you know, move on from another 20-year-old forward to, to make the, the room there. But do you feel like, in a low-key way, that was a way for Royals management to send a message that, yeah, they're not going to go push the, the chips all in like some of the other teams did, but, hey, this is a, a team we believe can make a run here. We're going to go out and, and get you an extra asset to, and it's a little push that a team sometimes needed at a deadline to know that uh, their management core believes in them. Yeah, and you know, and they had to make a tough decision to do it because Matthew Hudson has been here through all the bad years, four-year guy, and uh, now the payoff season comes, and they had to go tell him, "Listen, we, you know, uh, you know, twenty-year-old, we can't have four. Uh, we've traded for another one, uh, Laventure, and it's a huge upgrade in uh, from." Uh, 
uh, from Levent, uh, from Hudson to uh, Leventer, but Hudson was a really nice kid, and uh, you know, and, and one of those glue guys in the dressing room, and that was really, I know, for management, a tough, tough decision, and that was one of those, one of the hardest conversations they probably had to have in a dressing room with the kids, you know. Uh, but that shows how serious they are, and it doesn't, you know, sentiment did not come into that decision when you can upgrade like that. You know, for a fifth-round draft pick and have a huge upgrade with one of your 20-year-olds, that shows they are serious and they are looking for a deep run this year. Yeah, I mean that's that's the nature of the business with uh, you know a league with you know three three twenties, and they are typically your you know those kind of guys that you know are uh, you know good good in the room, you know penalty kill, face-off guys, and so yeah, if you can you know, but then they you know sometimes pay the price if you can find somebody better up the street. Yeah, that's the way it goes. That's one of the, you know, um, one of the toughest things about, uh, uh, you know, about the WHL because, uh, you know, the BCHL here and a lot of the junior A leagues have six 20-year-olds. Uh, but uh, this league long ago decided their core is the 18-year-old, right, and that's for the draft. And uh, that means, you know, less guys at the older end uh, and just the way it is. I'd be remiss then because you said the word uh, BCHL without asking you your take on, on the you know one of the biggest stories in hockey in the last week, and the five Alberta Junior Hockey League teams uh, announcing through the BCHL that they're going to make the move to the BCHL next season, already having uh, left Hockey Canada and operating independently, uh, and certainly a change in rules for who and what they can recruit. You know, you've seen the BCHL for a long time. What's your take on how things have evolved and what this move could mean? I mean, it's pretty earth-shattering yeah, up here, uh, especially for Hockey Canada, who, I mean, this could change the the whole landscape of hockey, uh, junior hockey in Canada, because uh, uh, it's not only the five uh, five age as AGHL teams, it's the five best AGHL teams, uh, leading with the Brooks Bandits, who, of course, uh, have won four uh, Canadian Junior A championships since 2013 and are the defending uh, Canadian Junior A champions and have produced uh, Kale McCarr. Uh, you know, one of the one of the, one of the elite defensemen in the NHL now. Uh, so that was a pretty big move, and it could it, it would have changed the landscape of Canadian Junior. And I could see maybe Saskatchewan and Manitoba now, you know, looking and going, okay, what are we playing for a Centennial Cup that is so watered down and downgraded that no one really really cares about it anymore? And you know, what it was was um, not being able to. Uh, you know, why the WHL is allowed to have you know 16, 17 year olds. Uh, 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 recruited uh, the the deal with Hockey Canada was for Junior A. The family had either had to be in that province uh, where the team played, or they had to relocate, like their entire family, to that province uh, if your kid wanted to play out of province. And the that was a gross discrepancy. The BCHL thought, and uh, and they said they they couldn't live with that, and they went independent last year, uh, starting this season. Uh, you know, and they have a really good product. I mean, uh, you know, they had, what, 400 kids in NCAA Div 1 last year, which is insane. Uh, a quarter a quarter of the players in NCAA Div 1 are the BCHL uh, grads. And, uh, yeah, and uh, including uh, 14 on the Frozen Four champions of last year, Quinnipiac. Uh, so it's a very good league. And, uh, you know, it sent on a lot of good players. And they were losing a lot of the 16, 17-year-olds to the really good junior a USL, you know, USHL and uh, and uh, the other big league down in the junior league in the States. Um, and so... The they, they, it, 
Yeah, that's right. And then they said we're gonna that 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 drain has to stop of Canadians going down there who want to go the NCAA route. So uh, they they went independent. They bolted uh, Hockey Canada, and it's changed. Uh, like I said, it's it's a seismic quake in hockey in Canada. And now the AJHL, you know, jump which is huge, and uh, uh, you know uh, the, the league response AJHL responded by immediately suspending those in you know canceling all their games on the weekend. So how this plays out, this is an evolving story at this point. Well, and, and I read, and this was uh, you know not an article that was particularly sourced, but some speculation that the the flip side of this is the elite teams from Alberta moving to the BCHL could put some downward pressure on some of the teams that uh, already face some difficulties, you know, going up against the, the high rollers in the BCHL, you know, uh, a team like Merritt or um, Cowichan Valley. How will they financially and resource-wise stack up already with the Penticton's of the world and then all of a sudden you add in the high rollers from the Alberta Junior Hockey League could you uh, could you envision the BCHL losing some of those teams to whatever becomes of Hockey Canada Tier Two and and rounding into more of a you know high level elite type of Alberta uh, BC merged product? Oh, that's an excellent point. You know, I, I don't even know if Couch and Valley or Merritt feel they can afford you know a, a, a road trip to you know. Uh, through the five teams uh, yearly in in the AJHL, so that's going to be an interesting thing that unfolds among the the lower level uh, teams in the BCHL. Lower level in terms of finances as well, uh, uh, right. what I mean. And they are not all uh, well funded like uh, Penticton is, uh, you know, and some of the other uh, you know uh, teams in in the BCHL. And um, you know, also what happened is uh, I don't know if you followed over the uh, the Vancouver Island Junior Hockey League, uh, the Pacific Coast. Uh, junior Hockey League and the Kootenai International Hockey League, which were all labeled Junior B before, went uh, Junior A uh, this over this past season. I know right, it's just here's two Junior A, they called it. Yeah, yeah. So it's just a change in having I mean, the same teams or the same players, but the, just a change in labels. But with that becomes some of the stronger teams in those uh, three leagues may think of going up to the BCHL because they feel they're in a good position to do so. And the lower BCHL league uh, teams financially could join the teams in their regions in which were the which are now junior a and still call themselves junior a well and and i i having you know covered the kootenai league and vc league when i was in trail for four years i mean i, I look at all this and i i sort of wonder and because you said uh, and quite rightly the focus of the bchl has really been ncaa prospects and so if that you know those kind of elite Alberta BC teams become very much focused on the NCAA. Is there an opportunity? And in my mind, I think there is for the Western Hockey League and the Canadian Hockey League to build relationships with whatever is left of the Hockey Canada Tier Two model. Maybe BC of those three Junior B leagues forms another kind of actual Junior A league. Um, the whatever's left of the Alberta Junior Hockey League, you know, forms a similar league to what we see in Saskatchewan and Manitoba. And because those programs will be less focused on the Alberta or the NCAA, you know, in terms of recruiting talent, could they be 
sort of rebuilt as a developing and feeder system for major junior hockey. Um, I don't know. I, I think there's room for yes, a, yeah, a There is a realigning coming. That's an excellent point again. There is a realigning coming. How that will look like in the future years, I think, is one of the big stories in junior hockey. And as you said, with your time, you know, knowing the Kootenai League, that league has teams that are ready that, that were already BCHL level, you know. Oh, yeah. Really some, good. Some very good markets there. Level. So you can see them, you know, melding into, you know, the higher level BCHL slash AJHL top team junior league and then the others uh, of uh, the few left in the Kootenays and then, you know, the, along the coast here and on the island uh, playing in, like you said, more of a feeder league to, uh, what, what, uh, you know, whether you want to call it a feeder league to the WHL, whatever. Uh, what what won't be happening is any sort of alignment between the BCHL uh, and the five AGHL teams and Hockey Canada and the WHL. There's just too much bad blood there right now. I mean, there's I would take a huge a huge readjustment in thinking uh, between all the the parties involved for it, to, to that even be con being contemplated. And I, it's 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 harder to follow you know some of those leagues here from the states, but. I still kind of have a sneaking suspicion that at some point uh, you're, you're going to see, you know, Fred Harvison in, in the uh, join uh, join up in the 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 Pac-10. You know, I think that's probably what's going to happen. That could happen as well. Yeah, there's been talk of that of uh, uh, of some sort of NCAA move to incorporate Canada a little more. So preliminary right now, but then as you know. In basketball and, and in football, NCAA is changing so quickly. I mean, who would ever thought, uh, you know, the Pac-12 would be the Pac-2, right? And, and whoever thought college players could make a million dollars, you know, playing, uh, uh, you know, in the, in the NCAA. I mean, it was such a high-bound organization for the, and the change is so rapid. It'd be interesting because, uh, you know, because teams have had, you know, the University of Victoria, which is uh, uh, the Vikes, which are uh, not, varsity level here in Canada West, uh, their only club level, but they played uh, uh, they played the Wisconsin Badgers and have only lost uh, a few years ago, lost two one to them, you know, in in Madison, and uh, they played they played them pretty tough, and I think uh, Simon Fraser has played you know some Div one teams pretty tough as well, uh, so you know who knows what can happen, right? Uh, one thing I can say is. With the amount of money that some of these NCAA players are making with the new rules, the fact that Western Hockey League players are excluded from the NCAA because they make a hundred bucks a week yeah, which is remains that. crazy. Now, when you think about it, right? Yeah. I mean, how many stories have you heard that a kid appeared in an exhibition game, or his name was yeah. on a score sheet in an exhibition game, and he wants to go NCAA, but he's on a you know appeared in a WHL exhibition game, right? And Oh, sorry, you can't. This, well, but it was obvious training camp. They said it was okay. Uh, yeah, sure, they said it was okay, but we don't consider it okay. So you, you, you cannot come to the NCAA. Uh, you know, that, that's what, how strict and the rules were back then. And now NCAA is changing almost before our eyes, you know, monthly, you know, <laughs> the new rules. Jaw-dropping changes we thought you'd never see. So who knows what the, the, the holds for hockey in the future. So, Cleve, I know you you got to get back to you know your 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 actual paying gig and, and and as far as you know doing us a favor, and you know so we need to. Uh, Joe, I you know, always enjoy this. Well, but you know what? One last thing from me. I mean, you know, for we're, we're talking about the BC League, and you know, it's I I know you probably 
don't you're probably uncomfortable talking about it because you know it's not about yourself but you know the the bc sports hall of fame has has inducted you i, I don't i don't remember if if we've asked you about it but you know i feel that that's a that's a, a pretty prestigious honor for a guy that's paid his dues and spent a lot of time you know covering hockey and, and everything else in the bc what you know what what was it like having the having the honor of being inducted into the to, to the british columbia sports hall of fame well, it's, you know, it's an honor of a lifetime, really. So, uh, you know, it's, I never thought that would happen to me, you know, to to go into the uh, BC Sports Hall of Fame. I was a kid when I used to go to Vancouver, you know, and visit the, the BC Sports Hall of Fame, and I remember seeing, you know, the the past inductees, you know, Joe Cap, uh, you know, uh, a favorite of mine with the BC Lions in football over the years, Willie Fleming, another great Lions player, uh, you know, and just in awe of these guys and, and looking at their plaques, you know, and in their busts and the and the, hall, and the displays, you know, and Lester Patrick, right, uh, great Victoria hockey legend, you know, and going to read, you know, reading his display in the in the BC Sports Hall of Fame and just going, wow, this is amazing, and uh, you know, never in a million years could you have told that 12 year old kid that he would one day be joining him him in the Sports Hall, the BC Sports Hall of Fame. So it was, you know, a huge career honor, you know, and you go in, you know, with people. Uh, you know, like uh, Kirk McLean, you know, who made the famous run, you know, in 94 uh, with the Canucks. And, uh, you know, other guys you go, you know, in your class and the classes around you and you marvel that you're even, yeah, you're even in the same breath as those kind of people. You know, and what made me most proud is I was uh, the first uh, media person inducted who didn't spend his uh, spent his entire career outside of the Vancouver market, and that was to me a landmark moment because so many people, as you guys know, uh, you know, covering hockey in smaller towns, so many people do so many great things. You know, in smaller in media uh, markets, uh, don't get any recognition like you, you would in in the bigger cities. And and to be the first uh, media inductee into the BC Sports Hall of Fame who spent his entire career outside of Vancouver is uh, it means a lot to me, and the, the whole honor meant a lot to. Me. Well, Cleve, you know, for uh, for the fact that you went as a kid to that Hall of Fame and, and looked at the people that you admired, there'll be some young people who dream of covering sports for a living that'll walk through those halls and, and see you and look up to what you've done and want to be what you have, want to do what you've been able to accomplish so far. So congratulations Great, on that. Thank honor. you. Yeah, well, it's very kind. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, you hope the people will be inspired by you know what you've done and. Uh, and want to follow the footsteps, although we all know media, print media now is maybe not the most, uh, <laughs> the biggest growth industry going, but uh, uh, it's old school, and I'm glad to have been a part of the foundation media the last sort of years of it, and, uh, and we'll see what the future holds for, you know, future... Few, well, right, writing and storytelling is never going away. No, no, right? whatever, whatever format it'll appear in, whether yeah. it's on... On a screen, or whether it's uh, uh, you know uh, how it, how it's delivered to the reader will change. But the uh, great great uh, great point that the written word will never go away. Yeah, love it. Well, I mean, you know, regular listeners to our show know our, our love of the of the newspaper guys, and, and you're you're definitely on on that list, Cleve. And, and uh, we, we really appreciate your time this evening. I uh, appreciate it, guys.